0: I want to start by saying goodbye. eye We are happy to be here with you in Australia. And I'd like to say more in Australian, but it's really hard. I don't know how you all do it. Um, But Rod just said, you know, if you don't know what else to say, just say, Bob's your uncle, and everybody knows. (laughs) So Bob's your uncle, and God is good, and we're going to share with you this morning some of the things that the Lord has been teaching us. And we just want a disclaimer up front that we're not the model to follow. We haven't learned these lessons perfectly yet. So look to the Lord, not to us, but we're sharing um, things that He's taught us and on our personal journey. and obviously, in the time we have, we can only share a few things. We actually, the Lord led us to write a book. My wife really did the, the bulk of it. Um, that is available if you want to hear more of the the sordid details. <laughs> We made a lot of mistakes, but anyway, God is good. So this morning, we're just going to share briefly.
1: God is good, and he's so faithful, and that's always what we want to portray. So we pray that's what you'll hear this morning. So this is just a bit of our journey, but we really don't want to focus on our journey as much as the principles that we've learned in our journey. But if we don't set a bit of foundation, well, the principles wouldn't make nearly as much sense either. So, John and I married in 1987, and in 1988, we made a grand adventure to Kenya where the Lord truly opened the doors for us to teach at Maxwell Adventist Academy, and we, which is just outside of Nairobi, Kenya. Probably for me, it was my first experience with country living. I had never, I'd just kind of been a suburban girl. Well, this was pretty much out in the country, and a different country at that. Um, There we worked with the students, largely missionaries' children. Not totally, but largely from all corners of the of the earth. In fact, some from Australia. We've really looked for them while we've been here, but not found them. Um, Anyway, it was a very foundational experience for us, I guess I would say. Um, We thought I guess in our minds we knew we were not going to be lifetime missionaries, you know, some people have that calling, but even at the very beginning we told people that we felt like it was the foundation. God was taking us overseas, and we were going to get the foundation. Well, we had no idea what a foundation we would actually get. And in those six years, it was a very eye-opening experience. We went as two, and we returned as four. And, Well, you can't see them in that picture. That's just the backside of everybody. But our oldest daughter, Kirsten, and our oldest boy, Jonathan, were born there. Well, once we started having children, we became much more serious about life, as I think all of us do. And we were the youngest in in the staff on the campus. And we were just kind of, we pray never judging. But if you don't look at what kind of fruit you want to get in your garden, how do you know what to do to get it. You know, you kind of have to go from the fruit back to the root, right? I mean, it's a a gardening principle. If you want good fruit, you better talk to Whitmar and make sure you have good soil. Um, But first you have to plant the seed. We can all do that. So anyway, we started looking and it was a sad reality that the fruit wasn't the kind of fruit we hoped for in our family. You know, we really were struggling with Major issues in the students of the children of missionaries' children by the pretty much one cause of neglect. Neglect, and you know what happens to the garden if you neglect it? It it gets full of weeds. It's, it's no different in the lives of ourselves and our children. And so we saw a lot of neglect, and we started really analyzing, okay. If we stay in this path, how different is it going to be for us? Are we going to get any different fruit? Is there any? So that was kind of the beginning of our journey. We left Kenya after six years of service. We wouldn't change it for anything. It was a wonderful experience. We loved the people. We loved our work. But we came away wanting something more. And it was a rather, um, it wasn't a direct path. God often doesn't take us on a direct path because he has a lot of lessons he wants to teach us through the winding path. And that was a true thing for us. So we left Africa in 94, and we actually were not really called to farm until 1998. So in those two years, excuse me, in those four years, John received a master's of education. And he began teaching at a one-room school. We were teaching kind of together. But we were one step closer, but we were really no steps closer. So the goal when we left Africa was to to reclaim some time for our family, because boarding school is 24-7. So then we hoped to reclaim it by getting into day school with elementary children. We'd have summers, we'd have weekends, we'd have vacations, but it wasn't We were not even into the second year when we realized we were not meeting our goals, and the Lord led in very miraculous ways for John to leave teaching. Um, Many would say it was foolish. Um, My mother is here with us, I'm not sure where, she's probably still in the kitchen. If you see the white curly-headed lady in the kitchen, that is my wonderful 80-year-old mother. And she's with us. But she, I heard her saying to somebody since we've been in Australia, we thought they were nuts when they left teaching. Of course, our parents had every right to think we were nuts. But what God does is, is always good. And it takes us through some very low valleys at times. But um, the end product isn't about us but it's about God's faithfulness and the things that he's taught us.
0: So, um, as, as we were at Maxwell, as we were seeing the fruits of what was going on there, we really started searching, and, and the Lord, we don't have time to get into the details, but the Lord really began to show us, what we believe were principles that we should be living by. And the first thing he taught us was that we need to live by principle and not by circumstances. You know, I think many of you realize how easy it is to let life run you rather than you run life. You know, every day is just, oh, I got to get this done and this done. But it's not principled. It's living by circumstances. And so that was really the foundation that he laid for us. And then on that foundation, we're going to share five principles he taught us. He's teaching us. He's teaching us. (laughs) Yeah, we're still learning. And the first one is that your family is your first mission field. You know, as Pam was saying there at Maxwell... Uh, we were dealing, I was on the discipline committee, and we were dealing with lots of issues from parental neglect. I think that's the bottom line. These people were out saving the heathen while at the same time losing their children. And I would say a real turning point for us came one day, I was... I was the chaplain and Bible teacher and a lot of other things, but I was also counseling in the dormitories two nights a week. And so we had these two young children. I wasn't there hardly at all. And so one night after being in the dormitory, (laughs) I'm sorry, this always chokes me up, but I came home, and my wife sat me down, and she said, Honey, if something doesn't change, someday it's our children that are going to be seeking counsel from a pastor. And that really cut to my heart, and I said, God, help us. That's not what we want. And, and that's when we really started searching and when we started seeing that God had a plan. He has order in his plan for evangelism. So one of the first things
1: that we did is we took a weekend And we really just sought the Lord. And we found some real gems in that weekend. And this was one of them. One well-ordered, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. Well, my husband was preaching a lot of sermons at that point. (laughs) So that one really spoke to us for sure. Um, But that was a real high time where the Lord really... um, started to show us um, the order that we, were, that we needed in our lives.
0: And you know, I still, I still want to challenge you as the Lord continues to challenge us, if we really believe that statement, if we really believe that one well-ordered family speaks more on behalf of the gospel than all the sermons that can be preached, that would change everything about our lives because we are involved in so much evangelism, which is wonderful. We don't want to down you know, your, your health evangelism and your, your revelation seminars and all those things, but this has more power than all of that. Do we believe it?
1: Unless we think we can make that well-ordered, well-disciplined family, we can't. We can't. It comes from totally recognizing that God has all power.
0: And then it was just like as we started really seeking the Lord, trying to understand his plan, he kept showing us quotes and, and verses. This one we read in a devotional. It just happened to come at the time when we were really studying this. A soul saved in your own family circle or in your own neighborhood by your patient painstaking labor will bring as much honor to the name of Christ and will shine as brightly in your crown as if you had found that soul in China or India. Now, do we need to be concerned about the souls in China and India? Yes, we do. But... Let's not be going out there if the souls in our own family circle are not connected with the Lord. This is another great one, but for time's sake, we'll skip over it. I'm sure many of you have read Adventist Home. If you haven't, I just encourage you to go back and read that.
1: So the second principle is that God's plan is for families to live together. Novel idea in the world we live in, isn't it? But Genesis 2, it's not good for man to be alone. It has never been good. And I don't think that means alone, I think that means away from his spouse. Alone. in, in um, Yeah, it is not good for man to be alone. Genesis 3, it's not good for women to be alone.
0: And that, of course, is the story of the fall. And, and our hypothesis is that I don't think Eve would have fallen if she had stayed by Adam's side. We need each other.
1: And number four, it's not good for children to be alone. This, by the way, is our clan. We have four boys and a daughter and one fine son-in-law.
0: So in Genesis 4, it's the story of Cain and Abel. And again, maybe we're stretching it here, but I think if, if Adam and Eve had been nearby, uh, Cain never would have done what he did to Abel. So the point is just that families together are a healthier situation. You know, most fathers go off to work And spend more time with other women than they spend with their own wife. You know, I think we see the results of this in the world today. Most children are gone from home more than they're at home. Who's going to have the greater influence? We felt God calling us to live a life together. And we want to challenge you with that.
1: So this was a scripture that you all probably know and it spoke to us. And thou shalt teach them, God's commandments, it's speaking of, diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. The picture you get is a picture of being together. Um, So the dilemma, as, as John was saying, it's just a dilemma in the world we live That everyone goes and does their own thing and that's become the norm
0: so we felt God calling us to number one worship together morning and evening worship the family altar that is so important and even if it's only half an hour it's amazing what can be accomplished over the years in that half hour? You know, if we sh- told you all the books we've read together as a family, it really is amazing. Just a few minutes a day. But it's cementing that relationship with the Lord and putting it as a priority in the day. We felt called to eat together you know, the family meal time, I don't know how it is here in Australia, but in the states, most families don't eat together.
1: They're missing a great social time. In our house it's it's a it's hard for us to stop and get back to work sometimes.
0: We felt called to work together. And we could say a lot about this. In fact, my wife will say more in another seminar, but there's, there are very few things as bonding as tackling hard tasks together and accomplishing them where the little ones and the older ones all feel important. You know, you can make chores for your children and have them, have them um, take out the rubbish, or um, sweep the kitchen, and, and that's important. But sometimes I think the children can see this as filler. You know, it's like um, busy work. Um, they don't feel like they're really doing something important. But the beauty of agriculture, and and one reason we're so passionate about it, is that it's something that families can do together, from the youngest to the oldest. There's something for everyone. And then last, well, I'm sure there's many others, but play together. And again, we want to emphasize this because We know for ourselves how easy it is for life to consume our days, and we never take time to play with our children. And that is so important. As far as tying the hearts of your children to you, I don't think there's anything that does that as quickly and effectively as playing with your children. So take time to play. I don't believe God frowns on that at all. In fact, Mrs. White has some statements encouraging that.
1: Number
0: three,
1: to lead a quiet, simple life.
0: It's it's 9.15. Right? This meeting ends at 9.15. Is that correct? Yeah, so we're, we're okay, I think.
1: Well, then I want to back up and just say something about playing together. Because that's one thing that I feel like we have really seen the blessing in. And we've been kind of surprised at how few (coughs) parents actually play with their children once they get to be above toddlers. And um, it doesn't have to cost money. You know, we have a Frisbee. We brought a Frisbee on this trip and I can't tell you how many times it's been out. We were on the beach yesterday throwing the frisbee. We were in the airport in Hawaii. They had a patch of grass and we pulled the frisbee out and we tossed it. Just something to, um, to do together. Um, so anyway. Well,
0: by the way, we should mention that our youngest son is here with us, Caleb is 14. And so, it wasn't just Pam and That's I throwing right. the frisbee.
1: Although, although, I would still like to do it if it was just us. So. <laughs> no, we are so blessed to have Caleb with us. And I'll just say this, um, our family is a little bit stretched out. So, our oldest are all in their 20s. And the boys are all at home still. Jonathan is 24. He runs his own business, um, Farmer's Friend. And Joshua is farming full time with us, that's why we can be here, because we have a, a great son, he's 21 at home, who's, who's running the winter farming for us right now. Um, he actually does the winter farming, we don't really, we aren't involved in that. And then our next one, Zach, he's still fi- finding his way, but he's planning to open up a small engine shop in the spring. And Caleb is has the lucky privilege of being with us on this trip. So. Here, this was our motto. Can you just get back up? Well, you need to put the phone. Oh, sorry. Okay. This hung on the wall in our kitchen, or in our dining room, for many years. Let me
0: just say one thing on play together before we move on. I saw there's a a four-square court out here. Do you all play four-square much in Australia? Do you know how to play four-square? Handball, oh, okay, well, maybe we can learn from you, or we can but teach maybe you similar. how to play foursquare. If we can find a ball, I'd love to to teach the young people how to play foursquare. You know, you think of it as a child's game, but I'll tell you, we have some wild <laughs> foursquare games at home with these 20-year-olds. It is really uh, fast and furious. <laughs>
1: All right, so. The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement, and the more in harmony with nature, the more favorable is it to physical and mental vigor and to spiritual strength. I want to tell you that quote is more applicable today than it has ever been in this Earth's history. And it really, We have a lot of passions on our hearts, but one is this middle part here, free from artificial excitement. This world is so full of artificial excitement. When we're talking about playing with our children, we're talking about a ball, a frisbee, a soccer, simple pleasures, simple things. And I'm going to say something. This might sound totally crazy. I, I really don't know kind of the culture here, and so you have to forgive us if we're way out on one side or the other or um, have grace on us. But we did what was very out of step for our culture, and we did not allow our children much computer time. We did not use the computer in our schooling. We did not... Um, we did not encourage it. The only thing we used it for was to teach typing because we still feel like that's a very important skill. Um, none of them had any devices before they were 16. None of them had a phone until they needed it. So that, the, the age varied a little bit in that. Um, when our daughter and son went canvassing and Kirsten was only I guess she was maybe 18, and he was 16, but she, looks, she looked like she was 12. So we definitely, we put a phone in her hand before that, and she had one after that. Jonathan didn't have a phone till he was 18. So we have taken a road less traveled with devices, and praise God, our kids were willing to travel that road with us. Even today, um, all their devices have controls on them. Now any smart kid can hop over those fences and get to the back side, but if their heart wants to be protected and they're willing for you to set boundaries, um, it's been a huge blessing for us. Not a perfect, you know, we still live in a world of sin and Satan is is seeking to devour them and he he finds many loopholes. But if you're there to help work through it and move on, but parents don't be foolish enough to put a phone or a device in the hand of your children without being smart enough to help them manage it.
0: We could talk a lot about that, because we feel, as my wife said, pretty passionate about it. But this quote was our motto. Literally, we chose to put that on the wall and remind ourselves of it regularly because we felt like this was the key. I mean, do we want an atmosphere that is more favorable to physical and mental vigor and spiritual strength? Isn't that what we want as parents? Here is the recipe, the more quiet and simple. Again, because we don't know the culture here as well as we wish we did we don't know how it is but we guess it's pretty similar to the US and that is that moms you have moms we have moms but moms here are probably on the go with their kids all day long you know in the states after school it's soccer practice, and then it's um, karate, and then it's music lessons, and then it's, you know, is that quiet and simple? We think that we're providing our children all these great advantages by doing all these things. I'll tell you from our experience in the classroom, our experience in the home and observing The best thing you can do for your children is give them a quiet, simple life free from artificial distraction. And what's the next part? Can you all read that? Okay. The more in harmony with nature. Our society is so out of touch with nature. And, of course, that's why we're here, talking about agriculture.
1: And I I will just say that in the midst of it all, Satan was there often to tempt me that we were not seeing the fruit that we wanted to see. And I just want to encourage parents, you know, to stay on your knees and by faith claim the promises. And I would claim that, this one. Lord, you promised. We've kept as quiet and simple a life as we knew how to.
0: And just to, to emphasize that what we've seen is that when you follow God's way, the fruit may be slower to mature. You know, we never we didn't have any child prodigies um, because we didn't push the education, the, the books, until they were closer to eight, nine, 10. Um, and anybody who knows anything about agriculture, you know that um, many times you take off the early fruit to give the roots more strength and vigor. And in the end, you'll have a much healthier plant. So don't be looking for early fruit. Be looking for a strong, healthy plant. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is another um, text that we came across early in our study. And this one really kind of blew us away. This, this was um, in the NIV, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. What a wonderful text.
1: Those were new thoughts to us. So the fourth principle is that we knew we needed to learn more about living by faith. You know, the Bible says, Are, is there going to be faith when Jesus comes? We knew that we were lacking In living by faith.
0: How many of you know the story of the impressive dream where Mrs. White um, was on a journey in wagons? Do you know that story? Okay. We don't have time to tell the story, but I'll just try to briefly summarize it. In this dream, she and her family were in these wagons going up a mountain. And as the road got steeper and narrower, they realized they were gonna have to leave the wagons behind. And so they had to leave, just unhitch the horses and leave most of their goods behind. And then as they continued on horseback further, the, the path got narrower and they eventually had to get off their horses and it kept getting narrower. Soon they had to take their shoes off and somewhere along there, they saw, so they were, you know, Traveling this path, on one side is a deep chasm, and on the other side is a sheer cliff. And at some point, they saw these ropes hanging down. They didn't know where they were coming from. But they hung on to that rope, and that kept them from falling off the edge. And as they went further and further, as the way got more difficult, that rope grew. And finally, they came to the edge, the end of the road... And across this deep chasm was this beautiful meadow, which clearly was heaven. And the only way to go across was by hanging with all their might on that rope and swinging across. And the cry went out, who holds the rope? And they knew who held it. It was God, and so James first swung across, and then Ellen, an amazing story. I, I can't remember exactly where it is, or I would have given the reference. There's a number of impressive dreams that Mrs. White had, but I encourage you to go back and read that story, because I think there's so much for us to learn. But one thing that I think is clear, that what, what does that rope represent, do you think? Faith. So at some point, we are going to have to put all our weight on that rope. And the Lord was impressing us, you need to be learning how to hang on by faith. Most of us live so comfortable a life that faith is more abstract, abstract than concrete.
1: So faith doesn't just grow in a moment. It grows through exercise. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that we put ourselves through trials, but I am suggesting that if we're committed to following the Lord, He often allows trials to grow our faith. And I don't really have time to, um, to really help you to understand the, the depth of, of this experience that I'm going to share. But I'll try to just summarize it by saying our first crop was an incredibly faith-shaking
0: experience. Well, let me just set the stage here that in 1998, when the Lord called us to farm, and if you want to learn more about that, you'll have to get the book, but um, we felt called to, to do strawberries, we felt, I mean, I wouldn't say we felt the Lord saying do strawberries, but we did, we did our research and we thought this is what we're going to do to earn our livelihood. So, yeah.
1: So, and, we, and the other thing we have to say is we knew nothing about gardening, really. I mean, we'd had a home garden for a few years, but we really were totally unprepared, and our, our first crop, someone who was a good an avid gardener in this area, had said, "Oh, these, all these are winter weeds, and they'll die or off." Summer weeds. All summer weeds, I'm sorry. They'll, they're summer weeds, and when the winter comes, they'll die off." So we made the wrong mistake of letting those weeds grow up. And I'm telling you, our first crop was a total weed patch and a total failure. But a grand success our faith and stretched us and started to teach us things. So the second year we determined we are not going to let that happen again and we started right at the beginning weeding, weeding, weeding. But even so, we had an acre I don't know how that compares here um, but it's a lot 18,000 strawberry plants and it was John and myself and our children were about our three. we only had three at that time and they were about two, no, they might have been a little bit, anyway, two, four, and six, roughly. They were young, so we didn't have a whole lot of workforce, um, but we did our best, and we had maybe half of it that we had reclaimed. Two-thirds. Two-thirds that we had reclaimed, and one-third that we were not able to reclaim. We hadn't sat through John's seminar about weeds yet. <laughs> there was no such seminar then. Um, And there were very precious few people to learn from. That's the other thing, is that the way we were growing strawberries, it was just not being done in the southeast at that point, Um, organically. There were a lot of strawberries being grown, but we were determined to do it organically. So the second crop we weeded, we had two-thirds reclaimed. The plants went into spring looking amazing. I mean, we just were rejoicing in the Lord. They were just full of blooms. And the fruit was starting to set. And where we live, we get a lot of late frosts. And so we had done our research. You know, we knew what it took uh, to, you know, to protect them from the frost, and we really weren't totally prepared, because the best protection we didn't have, well, we had the Lord. We were counting on Him being our best protection, but we had gotten some row covers, and we had covered them, and it gives a few degrees of protection. So, we, we slept soundly, we've done our part, we knew we were going to get a frost that night, and this is really our first experiences with frost protecting, because the previous crop was, there was really nothing to protect. So, I think we did it a few times successfully, um, but we can have days, and on one of those days, you know, you're pulling the covers on in the afternoon, and we'd always pray over it, and we went home, we had a good night's sleep. In the morning we woke up and we saw the thermometer there, and we knew that it was lower than the covers really were good for. But we were, we were strong in the Lord. I mean, the Lord was on our side. I, I knew he was on our side. And so after breakfast... John and I went out together, thankfully together, and we pulled up the cover, and all we saw was dead flowers. The, the little center of a strawberry flower is yellow, and if it gets the slightest bit of frost, they immediately turn black. All we could see was a sea of black flowers. And I cannot tell you, after what we had been through that first year, the second year really shook our faith. We were just like, Lord, you have called us to this, and now you've just kinda hung us out to dry. You know, we just felt like he would lopped the stick off we were standing on. It was, a, it was an incredibly um, soul-searching time for us. And I remember John just kind of retreated because what we did when we needed to connect was we just secluded ourselves with the Lord. And so he secluded himself with the Lord and the Lord was able to start to help him to sort it out. I went home to deal with the children and you know what you have to do when your faith is shaken? You have to do what's right. You have to put on the smile. You have to... Put the best foot forward to your children, or you'll shake their faith. And we just said, Lord, no matter what happens, we are not going to um, give our children reason not to trust you. I mean, we were grappling, and I was ferociously, you know, quickly journaling every chance I get to try to work it through in my own mind. But I want to tell you that we laid hold of Christ in that moment, And in those days, and he told us something that we've clung to all of these years, and that is that when you come to the place that I'm all you have, you'll find I'm all you need. I'm all you need. Pam, I'm all you need. You don't need that money in the bank. You don't need those strawberries. What you need is me. I'm sufficient and I'm enough.
0: So just to to emphasize the reality that, you know, we were, and we were naive, I'll, I'll admit, but we were thinking that we could get a year's worth of income from this strawberry crop, and then we were selling, you know, transplants and other things at the same time, but we were dependent for our year's income on this crop. And obviously, with the previous crop being a disaster, you can imagine we were really, really struggling financially. And so to see what it appeared to be a total disaster the second year was just, you know, Lord, how are we going to make it? What are we going to do? And the Lord just emphasized that, you know, do you need these strawberries or do you need me? What are you depending on? Is it the strawberries or is it me? And that was such a powerful lesson. But once we started depending on him,
1: guess what? We really had a great strawberry crop that year. I mean, you know, strawberry, you don't have all your blooms at once. And so if the Lord just multiplied the, the blooms that were still coming on, we don't ever try to figure out what God does. But he, he took us through that valley and then he gave us a testimony because when our, when our customers came, when people started coming to pick the strawberries, we were able to share a testimony of God's multiplying power.
0: Okay, and our last principle that we want to talk about here in our remaining few minutes is we felt a call to serve. Now, one thing I was gonna say at the beginning with my Australian accent, but <laughs> I got bogged down there. Um, I'm actually half Australian.
1: <laughs>
0: Yay. And In fact, I nice. have a, a cousin here that will verify that. <laughs> um, my mother was born and raised here, and this is a picture of her actually. So we're thr- I'm thrilled to be here because I feel like Two, twofold, number one, I'm coming back to my roots, never been here in 54 years. Secondly, I feel that agriculture is coming back to its roots in Adventism. You know, most of Mrs. White's counsels on agriculture were given from Australia. And so I'm just thrilled that this is happening here and I think we're coming full circle. We're excited to see what the Lord is gonna do. That's a little aside that was supposed to be at the beginning. But, um, you know, when, when we felt called to leave teaching, the problem was the Lord didn't show us right away what he was calling us to. And so I turned in my resignation to teaching without knowing how I was going to support my family. That was, a, that was a step of faith. And so I was really spending a lot of time with the Lord, struggling, saying, Lord, what, what do I do? I have a family. I have responsibility. How am I going to make a living? And in one of the most clear impressions I've ever had on my heart, as Darren said last night, almost like a, an audible voice, but I felt the Lord saying, your job is not to focus on making a living. Your job is to focus on service, and I'll take care of the rest. It was really just a paraphrase of Matthew 6:33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things that we worry about, you know, the clothes and the food and the housing, I'll take care of those focus on service.
1: So this was part of kind of a repeating pattern with us and that is that John would go away and have time with the Lord and then he'd come back and he'd share with me what the Lord said. And it was always hard for me to accept. And I I can remember um, being quite upset about Um, the call to serve. It's like, well, wait a minute, what about serving your family? What about providing an income? You know, what about, what about? Um, And it was hard for me, but that very next week, my mother-in-law was really struggling with her health, and on a Sabbath, and I don't remember the details, except that God just knew whatever I needed, um, she needed someone to take her to the emergency room. And she was really struggling um, with her health. And this was 20 years ago. So she was, it wasn't, it was not normal, the normal fare. And um, so I was the one, I maybe I just decided I was going to take her. I needed some time away myself. And so I grabbed the desire of ages. And I went. Because in the emergency room in the U.S., you spend a lot of time in before you get anything done. They took her in and they were working with her and I was able to, to step outside and under beautiful trees, there was a bench and I sat down on the bench and I just started pouring my heart out to the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I just don't understand. You know, I wanna be supportive to my husband. But some of the things, I mean, I wasn't in favor of farming either. That's a whole nother thing. You know, so there just was a number of things, and this was before the call to farm, the call to serve. Um, but the Lord took me to the chapter in Desire of Ages called the Invitation, and in that chapter, I read this, and you know, this was right after John had, you know, had been called to serve. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. The yoke is an instrument of service. Christ teaches us that we are called to serve, to service as long as life shall last. We are to take upon us his yoke that we may be co-workers with him. And I wish I could read the whole of it, but we try to reduce it so it's not too much. But go back and read that invitation chapter. The, the two chapters there, The Invitation and Be Still, Peace, peace. peace Be Still, those chapters have really ministered to, to us over the years. And, and one other that I just want to mention when it comes to ministering to us, the last four chapters of, desire, of, of ministry of healing, help and daily living. So, the Lord, the Lord convicted me, yes, we are called to serve. So, just to review, Your family is your first mission field. God's plan is for families to live together. That was his original plan. It hasn't changed. To lead a quiet and a simple life. Number four, live by faith. And number five, we are called to
0: serve. So, we didn't talk much about agriculture here, but... We felt, for us, we felt convicted that agriculture was God's chosen means to teach us these principles. And I think if you look at the principles, you can see how well agriculture fits with them. After 20 years, we believe more strongly than ever that these still apply. And we just want to commend these principles to you. You know, your individual circumstances will be different. But God, I believe, is... Principles are not changeable. You know, there are certain principles that apply to all of us. And so we just want to challenge you with that as we continue to be challenged. That God wants to lead us deeper with Him. God wants to lead us into a deeper faith walk. And he wants us to live by principle and not by circumstances. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we've shared this morning, we just pray that your spirit will take our feeble words, inadequate words, and make them into something that would convict and encourage and motivate So as we go from here, I pray that you would help us to to seek you as to what you would have us to do with the message we've heard. Thank you for being here, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,